Alright, hello everybody. Welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I am your host, per usual. On the agenda this evening, well, some UFC stuff. Last night, UFC on ESPN 51 took place in the Apex, and uh, kind of a tale of two halves there. The prelims... Uh, the prelims were... Dude, UFC had, like, the Bellator prelims. Um, how do I explain this joke? So, for... There was a period of time ending not too long ago. I forget how long, but... There was a period of time with Bellator where the joke was... The Bellator prelims were just sacrificial offerings. Like... <laughs> You book someone who's, you know, pretty good against someone you'd never heard of just so they get massacred. And I don't think the UFC's intent was to book mismatches. Let me be very clear about that. You got some statistically. But there were a few of these fights that I don't think the intent was, oh, we're going to get so-and-so out of here in the first round. It's going to be ugly as sin. But we got a lot of that. And then the main card happened, and the two, the two guys who missed weight... Showed up, and... I'll talk about it. So we'll talk about that. Um, we got a preview. UFC 292. Lost a fight, um, but, you know, two title fights, so we're going to look at that. Then news. There's a little... I suppose there's a little to discuss. Um, the big thing I want to talk about is we finally got some movement on the uh, the lawsuit. That is brought against the UFC. There's some movement on the last little bit here. So we'll talk about that. Because it's potentially very... The the wheels of justice in the United States legal system, be that criminal or civil, and this is civil, they don't... It's not the most expedient system in the world. Um, <laughs> but... It is one of the things that helps keep... Uh, it's weird. Any tool that can be used to free people can be used to oppress them. In a big kind of sense. So, there's a lot of people who abuse the legal process here. But it is one of the things that exists so that anyone can access it. And it can take time and it can take money. and But anyone can use... Anyone can avail themselves of the legal system. And this case has been going on for a bit, but and it's not resolved. We have movement. But it's potentially got there's some pretty serious ripple effects here that might go into play. So we're going to talk about that and then, I don't know, some other like minor news pieces from throughout the week, depending on how I feel when we get there. So, I mean, you'll know better than I do. Uh, you'll have the timestamps. I'm doing this live. Record live. I don't edit these. Almost at all. One or two times, if something really goes wrong technologically, I'll... Instead of re-recording the whole show, I'll just fix it. But 99% of the time. You get the unfil you get live and unfiltered, so there's all of that. Uh, anyway, that's the agenda. So, interact with the product a little bit if you could. Please like, comment, subscribe. Star rating, written review, whatever is applicable to your podcast platform of choice. Share us around on your social media platform of choice, or with people in your real life who might be interested in the show. Tell them about it, point them in our direction, see what we can do over here.
that is the preamble for today, I suppose. So let's get into it, shall we? UFC on ESPN 51 came to us from the Apex in Las Vegas. I don't... How do I phrase this? I don't hate the Apex as a venue. I hate the fact... As a viewer, I hate the fact that they sell seats. Because it gives us the worst of all possible worlds. I actually prefer... Uh, like the, there's something to me that's very powerful about the quiet when there's no crowd for a fight. That's a very, and powerful is kind of the only way I can describe it. It evokes a lot of very visceral feelings watching that. Having a big crowd has its own magic. Having a small crowd is kind of the worst because you're not as quiet and you can't kind of settle into the into the gravitas of what's going on. And you're also not getting a big crowd reaction to contribute to the atmosphere. You're getting, again, the worst kind of option there. And there's some, there were some fighters on this card that putting them in front of, in the apex was just, it's almost cruel. You put Cub Swanson out there in the apex at this point in his career, that dude should be fighting for people. You know, and, yeah. I don't hate that it exists. I understand the function it serves. I don't even necessarily hate um, you know, hosting fight nights there on occasion. We all know they're the C-tier, right? Uh, they're the C-tier shows. Now that you can tour again, and the UFC's starting to get back to that. This is your C-tier. That's okay. Those have a place. They ha- They serve a function. But, man, you got to be careful with that. There's some guys who just, they're the kinds of fighters, in some cases, at, the, at a point in their career when they shouldn't be fighting for, you know, a hundred drunk idiots with no atmosphere. Like, you know, that's the thing about these, about these kinds of shows. They, they have no atmosphere. Um, just none. You you don't have quiet gravitas and intensity. You don't have big electricity and reactions. You just got what you got. And it's, yeah, it ain't good. That's all I can say. All right, anyway, main event. Rafael Dos Anjos and Vicente Luque. Vicente Luque wins, unanimous decision, 49-46 and 248-47s. Doing this live, I scored this for RDA. I'm not... The way it played out, 48-47, either way, I'm not throwing a fit about. 49-46 for Luke is a little... That's a little odd. Not the only weird scorecard we got on this evening, and certainly not the only weird scorecards in the combat sports world. Uh, um, let me just br- dovetail very briefly into this. So, our co-main event had a disputed decision. Um with one of the scorecards in particular being turned in by local semi-sentient can of soup, Sal D'Amato. And I thought I was going to be, you know, yelling about that. And then, sort of at the last minute, I got together with Mark and Pat, and we provided watch-along alternative commentary for the uh, Emmanuel Navarrete and Oscar Valdez fight. And... 
doing it live, uh, we all kind of thought Valdez should have won. Boxing Twitter mostly disagreed. I, I don't mind being in the minority here, just for the record. I'm not annoyed at a Navarrete scorecard. I don't think it's I don't think it's out of line to think he won that fight. I may not agree, but I don't think it's crazy. One judge going ten rounds to two for Navarrete and the other eleven to one. Like that's incompetence on a level that I can't even describe. Like that's just should be criminal. It should be criminal to have scored 11 rounds of that fight for Navarrete. That I'm sorry. Best case scenario, you're just utterly incompetent. Worst case scenario, you are legitimately like criminally liable for what happened. It's terrible. So four rounds to one for Luke Egan. I don't agree. I thought Dos Anjos had rounds one and five. Um, without too much difficulty. And I think what was the other round I gave him? I might have given him three. Yeah, so either way. Um, here's the thing about uh, Dos Anjos at this point. At this point in his career, Dos Anjos is just... He would kill somebody to get a 165... To get UFC to recognize 165. Because commissions will sanction it. Like, this isn't a logistical hurdle in that respect. The UFC simply chooses not to. Because 155 is a pretty big cut for him at this point. And he's too small for 170 at this point in his career. And that's kind of how this played out. He had some okay success on the feet. Luke had some success. You know, neither guy is a defensive savant. It was kind of who was going forward was winning until they clinched. And then, you know, Dos Anjos would look for a takedown. Couldn't quite get it. Luque would spin him. First couple of rounds, Luque was picking his ankles. And then between rounds, I think two and three, um, Dos Anjos was like, yeah, he, he keeps grabbing my ankle. So they took, the, he had his feet wrapped. So between rounds, his quarter just took it off. Um, <laughs> and that stopped being a problem. But it was just, I, I hate to say that the bigger man won, like, that's the only reason Luke won, because that's not the case. But skills being relatively even, size matters. Like, size matters when, what, what's the way I tend to phrase this? The the bigger the size differential, um, the more the skills gap needs to exist. Right? Like, if I'm... You see this all the time in fighting. Someone is slightly bigger than the other guy. If the other guy's better, he wins. Right? If I'm a lot bigger than you, you need to be... You just need to be a lot better than me in in this scenario, right? So I'm... I'm like 6'6", 1, 2... I don't know exactly what I weigh. Call it 220, plus or minus 3. It's usually about where I hang out, weight-wise. Um, actually, no, 218 plus or minus 3 is more accurate. Like, I, my vanity around that is weird. Because I'm, like, I'm not still in great shape. I don't pretend to be. 
I used to weigh a lot more than I do now. When I got to it, when I got reasonably, when I got under 220 reliably, I stopped looking at the scale because I stopped caring. I got my number was at a good spot. Whatever. Um, but so if you're, by way of example, like, so let's take Demetrius Johnson. Demetrius Johnson could kill me. I know this. But if you take someone the size of Demetrius Johnson and only give them, what, a month of sort of generic MMA training, I I still beat that guy. You, the skill difference needs to be greater the greater the size difference. And that's not a knock on shorter guys. That's why weight classes exist. And if you think, uh, if you're one of these people out there going, wait, what do you mean? Like, I've seen, you know, small guys beat bigger guys. Yeah, bigger guys who don't know anything. You can see the video of, you know, a Dustin Poirier and Brian Shaw screwing around and grappling. And when Poirier is on top, he wins. Dude, look at that. I've seen that video. Watch what happens when Brian Shaw's on top of him. Like, Brian Shaw doesn't know what he's doing down there. Any more than, like, you know, what he got from however much time they spent together earlier and, you know, just some general positional drilling maybe or whatnot. Like, he's he's not a grappler, but he's 6'8", like 400 pounds of solid muscle. He's enormous. Dustin Poirier is not a small guy. I mean, he fights, fights lightweight, but, you know, he's a pretty decently sized human being, not a... He, you wouldn't look at him and think he's aberrantly small. And Poirier is a much better... You know, he's dedicated his life to this. And this big, you know, gorilla is on top of him, and he can't get him off. It's why... If you want the, if you want the other side of this and to know why size does matter, in some respects, watch Gordon Ryan messing around with um, Hafthor Bjornsson. Because Gordon Ryan at that point, when he did this, was jacked. Um, you know, good chemists will do that for you. And he's still smaller than uh, Half Thor by a lot. But he's big enough that the colossal skills gap, and it's enormous on the ground between those two in favor of Gordon Ryan, is enough is more than enough to overcome the size disparity. But... Gordon Ryan's also not a small guy either. Dos Anjos found himself in a position here, long way of getting to my point, where, you know, he and Luke are more or less, they were fairly evenly matched skills-wise. Both guys had some success with the jab. Both guys landed some pretty good body kicks. They traded power hand punches on occasion. But when all the other things being equal, the bigger guy won. Anytime they clinched up, you know, Dos Anjos was looking for what he normally does. Pressure you to the fence, take you down, work you over, kind of rinse, repeat. Luka just never let him get takedowns in any real way. Then he spun him into the fence and just, he couldn't quite deal with it. And again, man, he would kill somebody to get 165, because I think that's the ideal weight class for him at this point in his career. Um, but, you know, Luka winning is fine. Uh, 
he probably deserved it. I don't always stand by my scoring live when I'm, especially when I'm typing stuff out at the same time. Especially when the dude, I have not. Other people have complained about the ESPN Plus player, the app or whatever. Depending on whatever you're watching it on, I'm watching it on my computer, so I, I have not had the same kinds of consistent problems other people have had. Other people have. They've had gobs of problems with this thing. Last night was the first time it really kind of crapped the bed for me. I I I said before like I don't think people were lying about it. I just it hadn't been my experience to have problems with that. Um I had problems with it last night. It it was not great. It was not great. Did not perform all that well. For the UFC I don't know what it is about the UFC's relationship with that pro with that uh, platform. I don't have those same problems with almost anything else. And I mean anything. Apparently even like the Spanish language stream for uh, UFC commentary doesn't have these problems either. I don't know what it is. I don't know what the issue is there. But it's real. Other people have talked about it a lot. I, first time I had real problems with it was last night, so I really don't stand by my scoring on some of these. Um, Luke, I, after the fact, mentioned, I didn't talk about this a whole lot when I previewed this, but um, after Luke got knocked out by George, uh, George, Jeff Neal, he had a pretty serious brain bleed and looked like he might have to be retired, like medically. Um, he got cleared. And, you know, he again, he got he jumped through a bunch of hoops to do it. It was not easy to get cleared to fight again, but he did. Uh, seemed OK here. He got hit a few times. And he went to the hospital afterwards, apparently all good. But brain bleeds, man. That's serious. So if. If it was kind of an aberrant thing that he, that, you know, got handled and he's okay to continue, then fine. But if not, man, just let it go. This is not worth your life. You see, it does not pay you enough for that. It doesn't. But oh, seems okay at the moment, so wish him well in that respect. Uh, he needs to fight another, like, he needs to fight another ranked guy if he's gonna... I don't know what he's going to do. He wants to get kind of back towards the title. So we would have to fight someone else ranked above him. He was, uh, Dos Anjos was like, there was, these guys were 9 and 10, I think. Dos Anjos 9 and then Luke A 10. So he wants to fight up again, someone nearer the top five. If he's still healthy, okay. As for Dos Anjos, I mean, he's on the downside of his career. He's been doing this forever. He's got a boatload of fights. He's almost 40. By his own admission, he's kind of at the point where he just wants to have um, fights that he's he gets excited for that he thinks will be good for the fans. This one didn't quite turn out that way. Uh, this wasn't a bad fight, but it wasn't it wasn't all that exciting. It wasn't all that interesting. Um. Yeah, so he's probably going to look for another Legend-style fight, something that, you know, will be a lot of fun. 
and I'm fine if he wants to keep doing that. He's he seems very cognizant of where he of his space in his career, like knows we're near the end, knows what he wants to do with the few with the fights he has left. You know what? Fair. Uh, bless you. Go for it. Um, yeah, that's it. Not a whole lot to talk about there. Uh, co-main event. This was the disputed decision. So Cub Swanson defeats Akeem Dawadu via unanimous decision, 29-28s across the board. So I was 29-28 Swanson here. Full disclosure. I gave him rounds one and three. One was close. I don't think it's wrong to give it to Dawadu. He had some success. Um, both guys had success. There were... I, largely, I think Swanson got that first round. Like if there was a turning point about what might have swayed your mind one way or the other, relatively early, he landed a triple jab into a pretty solid right hand that got Dawadu like backing up and a little out of sorts. Um, he recovered, and Cub couldn't really land leg kicks. Dawadu landed some really nice leg kicks, actually. Um, I, I owe Dawadu an apology uh, for my pre-fight stuff. I mentioned he was going to, you know, mean mug and then shoot the double. He's not a... I should have clarified. Because he's never gone for a takedown officially in his UFC career. Um, I didn't mean, you know, he's going to wrestle. I Not like Mark Chiquese, you know, who turned into like, Hey, I, I, I wrestle now. It's more clinching. Like, Dawadu's fights have a lot of clinching for a guy who is nominally a kickboxer. And I should have been clearer about that. So my apologies for being, for how kind of glib that was. And there was a fair bit of clinching here. Which largely, I think, favored Dawadu, but also didn't favor him to this, not to a significant degree. He controlled a fair bit of it, but he didn't do a whole lot with it. And that's, it meant that, you know, some of these rounds where Swanson landed some of the more visually impressive strikes maybe favored him. Uh, he got some takedown Swanson in uh, the third. He spent a bit more time on top, uh, especially kind of near the end. So here's the thing. In 29-28, either way, I think is fine. I think it's a perfectly acceptable scorecard. Round one was close. Round three was, all things considered, relatively close. The only round that I don't think should have been in much in dispute was round two, but again, Sal D'Amato going round two to Swanson is just baffling. Just baffling. Um, that being said, so a couple of things. One, people, you know, the live, the Vegas live odds had Dawadu as a minus, because live odds change over the course of the fight, and but he was like minus 14, I think, 1,400. Something like that, just, you know, the Vegas odds were just huge in his favor by the end of this thing, and then he loses this, and everyone's like, what? But the odds, the odds don't mean shh. Mm, not going to swear. The odds don't mean anything. They don't mean anything. They show them because it's a talking point for commentary. They show them because it's relevant to betting, but they don't mean anything. They're not a scoring criteria. No one looks at the live odds and goes, well, clearly so-and-so. They're meant to reflect the, what they think is happening. That's all. That's it. That's the sum total of this. At this point in time, what do we think is the most likely outcome? And 
it's swayed by a lot of things, including where money's coming in, and it, they got it wrong. People screaming about it don't. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. What the live odds said is utterly immaterial to the outcome of a fight. Utterly immaterial. So please stop that nonsense. I beg of you. The if you thought Dawudu won, I don't think you're. I said 29-28 either way is perfectly fine. It's not a robbery, guys. I'm sorry. You might have felt better about Dawudu at the end of it, and okay. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm saying. I know how we got to where we got to. And my gripe is 20. My honestly, my gripe is D'Amato giving round two to Swanson. That is that's ridiculous. Swanson. Let me also say this. If we were scoring the fight as a whole, yeah, I'd give it to Dawudu. Just for the record. Fight as a whole. Yeah. Hakeem. Round by round. You muddy the waters. For the record, and I've said this before as well, I've come around to this point. I think when it comes to MMA, scoring the fight as a whole, rather than round by round, is a better way to do it. But the UFC doesn't, because the UFC doesn't. And they basically tried to blackball Colorado for sanctioning one's rules that do that do it that way. Um, yeah, the... Uh, you all just going to have to bear with me for one minute. I don't have another place for this, so it's going to come in here because we're talking a little bit about regulatory side of things. And, again, the... So, the UFC was out there trying to... They, back up half a step. They had the big, like, meeting of the American Boxing Commissions, the ABC. And this is a thing that happens. And apparently, one, a lot of the AB, the other commissions were, you know trying to ice out Colorado, mostly at the UFC's request, because Colorado approved the use of the universal MMA rules, or the world MMA rules, I forget which one it is, as opposed to the unified. The UFC uses the unified rules. What one operates under, one championship, is, uh, I believe it's the world MMA rules. So, uh, forgive me um, if I'm wrong in that respect, but I think that's what it is. And now, Colorado didn't say, this is what we're sanctioning, you must use these rules. They said, if you want to have fights under these rules, we will sanction it. And now the UFC's like, no, we're not, we'll do nothing in Colorado, we won't do business with you, and, you know, uh, screw you. Well, here's the other thing about that. So the UFC was, uh, they had representatives there, I forget who it was, somebody from the UFC was there. And they presented to the commissions that we would like to sanction power slap. Can you see the correlation here? Can you see what's about to happen? Now, credit to the ring, the like ringside physicians who came up and said, I can't tell you much about power slap other than the seizures I've seen those, you can't even call them fighters, slappers. God, that's derogatory. I don't even. I think poorly of that event, and I still don't want to demean the people that do it like that. 
But this, the fact that a bunch of these guys go into seizures and have very serious brain trauma issues, I can't imagine why. All you're doing is trading CTE for money. As, like, the most serious thing some of these people have seen in combat sports. But can you see that the UFC might start doing the if you won't sanction power slap, we won't bring the circus to town? Can you see that? Because Nevada sanctions it. Nevada sanctioned power slap, and that mean the commissioner who retired not long after said, yeah, it was a mistake. Well, too late for to do anything about it, of course. Chuckles. But that's going to be a... Th- the UFC is pushing this, man. They advertise it on their website. They advertise it on their Twitter. I don't want to see it. And for the record, to the crowd of, well, then don't watch it, I'm trying not to. I don't want to see it on the UFC's Twitter feed. I don't... Dude, I almost unfollowed him because of that. Not, I'm not kidding. I almost did. And thankfully they toned it down. And it, but It's not fair. It's unbearably disingenuous to say if you don't want to watch it, don't watch. At the same time, with a giant neon sign over your head going, watch Power Slap. And to then force people to look at it, you know, Clockwork Orange style. Like... You're lying. <laughs> You're just lying. Stop it. So, the point being, that's something that might be on the horizon. Also also on the regulatory side of things. The state of Utah, where I live. So it used to be, the last time, so the first, the UFC, um, I mentioned this before, like there was a, they paid to get the UFC to bring events to Salt Lake. Not unheard of for, you know, any number of reasons, for any number of other places that do it. Not unheard of. It's above board. It's a little icky, but it's above board in that respect. But the first event that they brought, the, um, I forget the number, but Usman and Edwards for the title, right? Um, The purse, what the UFC paid out, the disclosed payout was obtainable. Uh, I think you had to file a Freedom of Information Act to get it, but you could do it. And we know the payouts from that one. We we know only a couple of the payouts from this most recent one. Apparently, the uh, Athletic Commission decided to throw out there that fighters can disclose if they choose to disclose. But we'd like to make it voluntary, and the reasoning? Oh, my... <sighs> If I was not a citizen of this state, man, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed for the statement put out by the Utah State Athletic Commission. Utterly embarrassed. All they did was regurgitate UFC PR. Every stupid talking point about why they shouldn't disclose this stuff that the UFC spiels, well, you know, you got a limited window... It hurts your negotiation power, which is all that crap. That's what they cited. Ludicrous. Ludicrous. Here's what kills me about this. We don't have a word for this in the English language that I'm aware of. I'll look this up later because I like words, but I will find something for this. So here's kind of the thing about how we look at some of this stuff and how we have to process reality. Big picture here. Promise we'll get back on track in a minute. Big picture is there is the truth, and anything not the truth is a lie. Okay? That seem unre- 
I don't find that an unreasonable way to categorize reality and how we interact with each other and how we interact with things, okay? There's the truth. And if you're not telling the truth, you're lying. Now, this is why and this is a weird scale here, right? Because I would rather everyone was... Here's the thing. If you're going to lie about something, I'd rather you were honest and say, I'm not going to tell you the truth. Personally, I think it's a better way to interact with the world. But we... I hate to say we lie all the time, but under that rubric, we do. And some of it's perfectly reasonable in how we choose to interact with each other. And it's... Eh, it's not the best way to go about, again, conducting yourself all the time, but it becomes a necessity at points for any number of very legitimate reasons. You just want to be as close to the truth as possible on this scale. There's a pretty hard line. Truth, then there's not truth, and there's a giant scale of not truth, of, of lies that are just not truth. And usually we try to, oh, these are half-truths. No, half-truths are not true by definition. But what we need is a word for something that isn't just a lie, but is the the other end of that spectrum, is the opposite of truth. I don't know that we have it. I'm going to look this up later. I won't do it now, but we might. Because we, we might, and it'd be a good word to use. But that's what this is. Claiming that fighter pay being disclosed hurts negotiations of the fighters. Like, what are you worried? That the UFC might get wind of what the UFC pays them and pay them less? What you are spouting here, dear athletic commission of the state that I call home, is not just a lie, it is the opposite of truth. It is an anti-truth. Shame on you. Shame on every single one of you. If you were an elected position, I would be having issues right now, but you're not, because commissions aren't. You're appointed by the governor. Oh, and Governor Cox, but that's a whole other story, isn't it? Not to bore you with politics. But, yeah, so that all happened, but to wind that back to Swanson and Dawadu. Maybe it's kind of the sclerotic nature of athletic commissions, because Sal D'Amato has been... That man has turned in some bad scorecards for a long time. I'm going to get to another judge, by the way. on this Because Tony Weeks was scoring one of these fights. Uh, I think our first fight between... Um, yeah, No, no, not our first fight. Excuse me. Um, the third fight, Jacqueline Yamarim and Montserrat Ruiz. Went into the third... The other two judges gave the first two rounds 10-8, as did I, as did everyone with a functioning brain. Tony Weeks over here, 10-9, 10-9, just piss off. Why are these people still allowed to do this? Because the actual mechanisms for changing them are a bureaucratic nightmare. <sighs> anyway, Swanson, so again, about Swanson and Dowadu. <sighs> If you were scoring the fight as a whole, like I said, Dawadu. No problem. And you might be asking yourself, how could you say you were okay scoring two rounds to him, but would, would go the whole fight, with the fight scored as a whole to Dawadu? Well, because the fight scored as a whole is very different from looking at it in five-minute chunks. That's why that way of scoring it exists in the first place. It is fundamentally different. 
Um, Swan, I mean, Swanson got asked the fir- like, first, because, you know, the commentary didn't agree with the decision. Good chunk of people didn't. Cub thought he lost. Like, Cormier up there asked him, like, you know, did you think you did enough? And he said, no. Um, you know, we had, you know, we hit each other, but I, I don't, I don't think I won. I'll have to watch it back. He might be kinder to himself, um, you know, watching it back. I said, I don't, I just don't think it's, I don't think it's wrong. I don't think it's inconceivable to get 29-28 for Swanson when two of the rounds are close. Sorry, that's how that goes. <laughs> Again, fault of the system. You don't like it. One, better ju- better judges would help. Two, I I would like to see more people experiment with scoring the fight as a whole. Keep the same criteria if you want. This is the other thing that people miss. When you talk about, like, pride scoring, pride scoring was wonky because one of its major criteria was attempts to end the fight. Which is which is not the same as nearly finishing the fight, but, like, attempts to end it or your intention and in ending it. And it led to, led to a couple of wonky decisions. Um, like, Rico Rodriguez over... Uh, Big Nog beat him, but Rico Rodriguez and Big Nog, when they fought, like, most sane people fought Rodriguez won that fight, and then at the end, like, no, no, Noguera attempted a bunch of submissions off of his back while getting punched. Yeah, yeah, not great. You know, and it's not, I'm not saying that that would solve the problem, mind you. Just, I, I think it might give us a generally more consistent result. I might be wrong. I might be wrong, but that's where I land. So... Yeah, it was not a bad fight, actually, all things considered. Um, there was no fight of the night awarded all night. If there was, I would have given it to these two, personally. But, you know, I'm not in charge of that. Uh, light heavyweight, Khalil Roundtree knocked out Chris Dawkins, 240 of the first round. Laser left hand from Roundtree. Switched up the timing on him a little bit. Cracked him, dropped him. Um, Roundtree's a guy who's been up and down in the UFC. He's been chinny. He's been weird. He's had cardio issues at times. He seems to finally kind of be settling in. Uh, sucks for Chris Dawkins, man. Four-fight losing streak now across heavyweight and light heavyweight. He had some hype at one point. He looked pretty good. Um, man, you get stopped that many times in a row, though. I mean, he came in, you know, and in rapid succession beat Parker Porter... Rodrigo Nascimento, Alexei Olenek, and Shamila Berahimov. Then Derek Lewis stops him in 3.30. Curtis Blades TKOs him quickly into the second round. Rosenstrike knocks him out in 23 seconds. Like, dude, you've been finished four times in a row. You've been stopped in all of them in less than six minutes. That's December 21, March 22, December 22, and now August of 23. that's a bad spot to be in, man. They might cut him. And I hate to say that because I don't have anything against Dawkins. But you lose that many in a row, you get stopped that frequently. You gotta sort some stuff out, man. Um, Roundtree came in ranked. He would like to fight up in the ranks for his next fight. I think that's appropriate. He's on a pretty good streak. He's won, what, four in a row now? Yeah, four in a row, all stoppages. Uh, Bezkowskis, who he 
dude, I remember that when he sidekicked his knee and stopped him. Robertson, I kind of thought he lost that Jacoby fight, if I'm being honest. So not all stoppages, excuse me. That was a split decision. But three of his four wins are via decision. Yeah, yeah, I would be completely okay with him. I would be okay with him going... Uh, fighting up instead of fighting down. See, Yasmin Lucindo defeated Poliana Viana via arm triangle, 342 of the second. Uh, some decent back and forth on the feet, but whoever got on top kind of just had their way with things. And you know, Lucindo, uh, a little bit better, a little bit better on the on the ground. Uh, so, yeah, not a whole lot there. See, our first catchweight fight, well, technically our second because these aired in the opposite order, but A.J. Dobson weighed in at, no, he he did not. A.J. Dobson made weight. Tafan Chukwi weighed 189.5 for a middleweight fight. So, you know, four and a half pounds over, and I don't care about the 186 thing, and you're 185. You missed by a pretty good chunk of weight there, buddy, and I don't, I take that, I, if your first miss, and this might be his first, let me check that real, real quick. Yeah, I think that's his first. If your first miss is by that much, you unless you had something really wrong with you, that's a problem. Um, and there were there were two guys who missed weight because our next fight, uh, Josh Fremd weighed 189 for middleweight. You know, if I were conspiracy minded, and I'm not, but if I were, it's not the craziest thing in the world to think that in the wake of Stephen Thompson and the UFC having kind of a spat over this, that the UFC might not have done the, you know, if you miss weight, we won't hold it against you, and we'll still make the next guy fight to prove the point that Wonderboy's a malcontent, and, a, and even though he's not. I mean, Dana's whole spiel about this, I'll talk about this very briefly, because we're talking about guys who missed weight. So when Dana White got asked about it and he did the, you know, there's a bunch of stuff going on behind the scenes that you don't know about. Well, you don't get to hide behind that wall forever, buddy. You're out here throwing Wonder Boy under the bus for making a reasonable decision. I mean, if you come out and say, no, he turned down another fight, what fight? What fight? What fight did he turn down on a day's notice after Pereira missed weight by as much as he did? By all means. <sighs> but, you know, of course he's not going to say that. He just, you know, he just doesn't. I've said this before, man, about, you know, let me save it. Let me save it for the talking about the lawsuit. But here we had two guys who missed weight. Both fights went forward in no small part because the other fighters are probably not in as financially stable a position in their lives as Stephen Thompson is. And and look, man, even Stephen Thompson might have taken that fight if he was, you know, five years younger. And the calculus changes at a certain point, so, you know. I don't know. Anyway, uh, Chuck, we missed weight, and A.J. Dobson beat him by unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. I think I was 30-27 for Dobson. 
Chukwe was landing some decent calf kicks, but not his punches just weren't there. Um, he, he couldn't quite find the target. Dobson, good kicks off of his lead leg. Working the inside leg kick, working the body kick. Uh, got some takedowns at various points. Better wrestler, just, you know, pretty solid performance from Dobson. Then uh, the fat guy won. Josh Fremd defeats Jamie Pickett for unanimous decision 30-27 across the boards. A lot of clinching, a lot of wrestling, a lot of Fremd on top, not a lot else. Um, yeah, just missing by that much, man. I don't like it. I'm still willing to give everybody one. You know, that that's kind of the way that is. Like, But... Usually the one that I'm inclined to give is, you know, a pound. Um, you mismanage your weight cut to the tune of four pounds, like three to four. That's that's a pretty big screw up on your part or an injury. So, I don't know. Um, and Fremd looked all right, but, you know, I'm... It's hard to get too good a gauge on his performance here. Um, partially because of the weight cut and how that might have affected him down the line. And, you know, he, he fought a very... He's a weird fighter. He's got some weird kicks. He's got a very dexterous lead leg. Um, and he was throwing a lot of flying knees. Like, this was just kind of a weird fight. That was, the, that was the main card. That's for the prelims where the action was. Uh, Marcus McGee knocked out J.P. Bays. 219 of the first. One hitter, quitter. Um, times him well. So they're both orthodox. Bays throws a right hand. Kind of squares up while he does it. In the way you're supposed to. Like, you know, turn your hip over. Throw the punch. McGee read it and angled back to his own left. To basically put himself in perfect position to throw a punch if they were opposite stances. Uh, and intercepts him even. Like, times it, moves it well, just crushes him with a right hand. Um, you know, McGee came in on short notice for his debut. Scored a non-trivial upset. Looked real good here. That's got to pay attention to. Uh, lightweight Terrence McKinney just kind of clubbed down Mike Breeden. Uh, 125 of the first. McKinney's got some tools, but... He's kind of always, to this point in his career, he's kind of giving you the same thing every time out. And if you can deal with that, uh, he can be got. Featherweight, Isaac Dolgarian defeated Francis Marshall via TKO, elbows, punches, hammer fists from Mount, basically. 448 of the first. Um, not much on the feet, then Dolgarian gets a takedown. Pretty good takedown. Um, he had to fight for it, but his second effort got there. His ground and pound is nothing to play with. It took him a while to really get postured up and land it, but even when he was fighting for that, he was good about sneaking it in. Had some pretty good body work that was going on. He was good about, like, again, framing, putting the forearm on the head, and then kind of lifting up and then going back down. Real short. You don't need a lot of space. You like People like to wind up. I know I do. You don't need it. It's not necessary. It just feels better. Um, there's a scene in a television show. A couple, uh, guy's training for a duel, a sword duel. And he's got a 
they're doing this with like rapiers or something adjacent to that. And he's swinging it around like you might a broadsword. You don't even have to do this with, you know, broadsword, longsword, or any of the classifications. And person comes in to try and help and is like, why are you swinging that like you're chopping wood? It only takes X amount of pounds of pressure to break the skin. And his response is, well, it feels stronger. Feels better going into the other guy. You know, same kind of thing with elbows. Like, is it more powerful? Does it feel better? It'll wind up and crash down? Yeah, it does. It does. It's not necessary to inflict damage. So he was good about sneaking him in there. And then once he got once he got postured up and could just kind of go to town, he opened up a pretty bad cut. Like, if this had gone out of the first round, they might have stopped that fight for the cut that was was under the eyebrow. Uh, which one was it? Marshall's right eye. Um, pretty bad cut in a really bad spot. That might have stopped the fight anyway. Um, after the fight, Dulgarian said, please give me a bonus. I would like to move out of my RV. And I'm just going to say it again. No one fighting for a company, a promotion, that generates revenue over a billion dollars that is profitable to the tune of almost $500 million last year, probably over that this year, profitable, that is working for an organization valued at multiple billions, about to be amalgamated with a professional wrestling company to form a single conglomerate worth that's currently being valued at around $20 billion. You sign that contract, you should not have to worry about living in an RV. But here we are, and that's not the world we live in. That said, you know, the UFC seems to be, they have not given bonuses to most people who ask for them. They seem to be trying to discourage the public begging uh, for purely PR reasons, and they're only doing it, like, it's purely punitive action, too. Like, no, don't make us look bad. Shut up, we're giving you you 12 and 12 for six fights. Shut up. Ugh. You know, my, um, a lot of people that I know, very briefly aside, when I first started covering MMA and kind of, I, I became a fan first and stumbled my way into coverage, because you may not know this story, I was a fan, I found 411 Mania for other, I can't remember exactly where I found it, might have been something, someone's live coverage or for something wrestling related, I don't remember. I was also during a period of time when I was more a fan of professional wrestling than I am now, as a general rule. And, you know, I found it, and I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed the coverage. And there were some quality writers working there in both the wrestling and um, MMA zones. And, you know, ad came up at one point, hey, do you want to write for us? And I said, yeah, let me throw something out there. And lo and behold, you know, ten years later, here I am. And, but the long and the short of this is, of all the people that I knew and I associated with who were watching the sport at the time, I don't think any of them do anymore. Um, There was a pretty talented group of people there for a while. I was fortunate to be associated with them. Um, but, yeah, they, I don't think any of them still watch. 
the attrition rate for MMA fandom is... It's a real thing. It's been a real thing for a long time. I've seen, like, three generations of MMA fans. And some people have been around longer than I have. I'm well aware of that. But... Man, it's... uh, Part of the... Part of the burnout is not just the... It's not just the schedule. Like, that only affects people who are, like, you know, maniacs who try to watch everything. And you're either a maniac or you get... Or, you know, it's part of your job description. Like, somebody pointed out... We got we had an upcoming fight in a couple of weeks. The one from Singapore. Like, the prelims start at... The prelims start at 3 a.m. my time. And, like, 6 a.m. Eastern. And there's a thing, like, who's going to wake up at that point in the day to then just watch, you know, Max Holloway beat up the remnants of the Korean zombie? Like... I responded on Twitter. I said, well, somebody's got to cover it. And here I am. I'm somebody. But part of the attrition rate is not just that. I think fans have generally become... There was a generation of fans that was, you know, that tried to be super hardcore, and I think it burned them out. I think a lot of the current generation of fans is more discerning. And if they're not interested, they just won't watch, but they will watch when they are interested. And it's a... Again, you can argue that's a more casual way of doing it, but I might actually argue it's a healthier way to do it at this point. But part of the attrition rate at the moment for a lot of fans is, like, management. The more we see how the sausage is made, the more a lot of people are checking out. They're just not comfortable with it. And I don't blame them. Like, I don't mind seeing how the sausage is made for this or other things and let me make my own decision there I'm a big boy but it's I understand it man if you don't feel that you can support this organization I get it I absolutely get it just for the record I absolutely get it uh, anyway, heavyweights. Uh, Martin Bidet defeated Joss Parisian via Kimura, 4-11 to the first. Sloppy heavyweights, but Bidet's actually a pretty decent heavyweight fighter. He's big. Um, he's on like an 11-fight winning streak now overall. Um, he wants to fight someone ranked next. I say give it to him. He's... This was, I believe, his first finish in the UFC. But he's got some skill. He's got some skill. Up. Um, I mentioned this fight a little bit earlier, but Jacqueline Amarim defeated Montserrat Ruiz via TKO, punches, elbows, hammer fists, whatever she wanted from Mount. Uh, 341 of the third. So round one, 10-8. Round two, 10-8, unless you're Tony Weeks, in which case, you know, eh, 10-9. I don't know that I saw Ruiz land a single effective strike. Um... On top, Amarim was just passing her guard like butter, got to mount, got back mount, got right, rode her back and forth, landed stuff. Second round, there's a takedown from Ruiz, and then she gets swept. Third round, another takedown from Ruiz. She avoids getting swept, doesn't do much, and then Amarim sweeps her near the end, pounds her out. Uh, Amarim had a very good first round against um, was it Hannah Cyphers. I think it was her UFC debut. Hannah Goldie. No, I don't think Goldie's won in the UFC yet. I want to say Cyphers, but I'm going to double check this.
is just gonna confirm that. Hughes, Sam Hughes, Sam Page. I was wrong. Yeah, good to know. Glad I checked. So Sam Hughes. Ah, uh, but then she gassed and Hughes didn't. And Hughes took over the last couple of rounds. Here she managed her energy a little bit better and seems to have improved her cardio. Anyway, um, yeah, good performance from her. Ruiz very small. Ruiz strikes me as more of an atom weight, but the UFC doesn't promote atom weights, so you know, here we are. Which I've said a lot this podcast, gotta watch that. Uh Bantamweight, Damon Blackshear busting out the twister against Jose Johnson. Rare. Only the third one in UFC history, but he got it. Um Yeah, got he got Johnson down, moved to the back. Johnson tried to scramble up, so he only got one hook in, and they wound up back on the mat. Then Johnson lands a really nice elbow, actually. But in doing so, um, Blackshear gets an arm around, the, uh, gets his arm kind of around that, so it traps the arm behind, so he can hook around the head. Twister position. Um, eh, good stuff. And then kicking everything off, Luana Santos and Juliana Miller had an embarrassing striking affair that ended 3:41 of the first, with Santos uh, winning. These two looked like fighters with 10 professional fights between them. Yeah, just... I understand it's hard to make money doing this outside of the UFC. I really do. But if you get to the UFC with, like, five fights, the UFC is not a place to develop your skills unless you're a freak. And... If you're a freak athlete, if you're a Cain Velasquez or a Brock, Le- even Brock to a different degree, you know, if you're if you're a freak athlete, you can do it. If you're not, don't do it. It will ruin you. It will ruin you faster than you know. So, I mentioned there was no fight of the night. That's all of them. Um, performances went to Khalil Roundtree, Yasmin Lucindo, Marcus McGee, and Damon Blackshear. Oh yeah, Luana Santos. After the fight said, hey, Dana, I bring the knockout, you bring the bonus. You know, sound like a deal? Well, turns out not. They don't, and they don't like you begging. They are trying to get away from that. They're really trying to get away from fighters expressing how dire their situation is while fighting for the biggest MMA promotion in the world. One might argue the only consistently successful MMA promotion in the world. And (laughs) making them look bad, but... They could fix it. They choose not to. Uh, I don't object to that uh, to that um, arrangement of bonuses. Um, you know, Blackshear busting out the twister was going to get it. Roundtree scoring a pretty ser- uh, McGee was pretty much guaranteed one after the one hit after the one punch. Uh, and if you weren't going to get fight of the night, you're going to disperse amongst the other two. Yeah, it's not the. They, I think there was some main card bias in the other two. Like, eh, the other fights on the main card weren't great, so bonus those two, but I don't know. But my live report is in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. Give it a look, if you would. I always appreciate that. All right, let's keep moving on here. I don't want to be here forever. So, this coming Saturday, UFC 292 from Boston. They're at the TD Garden in Boston, Massachusetts, and for the pay-per-view. <sighs> this card has had some adversity. Can we, can we be honest about that for just a second or two here? 
Um, how many fights have we had Fallout? We've had a few. So, I mentioned already, we lost Cody Garbrandt versus Mario Bautista. Garbrandt withdrew. Um, he is... So, we're seeing if someone's going to step up and fight Bautista. Uh, Rob Font and Song Yadong got... Uh, that fell apart. And Font got moved to a couple of weeks earlier to fight Sandhagen. Um, Jeff Neal and Machado Gary fell apart. Jeff Neal had to pull out. We were supposed to get, you might recall, Henry Cejudo and Marlon Vera. Cejudo had a shoulder injury. So it's, uh, it's been a thing. And we're, um, aren't we getting the, so we are putting on this, not on the main card would be my guess. Um, because I, I, isn't there one other stupid, tough fight still to go? I don't know. They might be setting up the other, um, yeah, what a waste of time. What a waste of time the Ultimate Fighter was this year, huh? Utter waste of time. So I'll get to that later. The long and the short of that is we have, we know one of the finals. Um, we know Austin Hubbard and Kurt Holobo. Uh, we don't know the bantamweight one yet. That will be determined in a bit. They'll announce it. So there's one more fight on here that we don't know, and I frankly don't care. Uh, so I'm going to leave that one alone. Uh, for the record, if Batista is able to stay on the card, I don't mind picking him in the dark. All right, main event. Let's get to the preview proper. Bantamweight title, Aljamain Sterling and Sean O'Malley. I don't, the number of people, man, who don't like Aljamain Sterling and who let that color their perception is a bit startling. He's not my favorite fighter in the world. I don't pretend that he is, but pretending that he is anything less than either the best or one of the two or three best, one of the two best bantamweights in the world right now is nonsense. I think he is the best bantamweight in the world at the moment. Doesn't mean he's unbeatable, but... Look at that guy's body of work. You may not like him. You may not like his style. You may have thought he lost a couple of the mo of his more recent fights. I thought he lost the Jan rematch. Um, I did think he beat Cejudo, though. But <laughs> he's very effective. He's, he's a very effective fighter. And you have to kind of deal with that. But there's a lot of people who just, they don't like him. And not even saying I completely don't get it. His personality is a touch grating under the best of circumstances. And then the unfortunate reality of winning the belt via DQ. How the PR thing kind of turned on him after that. And then he he gets yawn and he gets out with the neck injury. And then the yawn rematch where people start arguing about some of the criteria scoring. And it's it's just a little... He's beaten a lot of guys that people liked. People, people liked Piotr Jan. And Sterling beat him twice. People were, people were then kind of interested in the TJ Dillashaw redemption story. And then Dillashaw, you know, came into that fight with a shoulder that was held together by friggin' duct tape and bubble gum. And everybody kind of got sour about that, and Sterling ran him over. 
And then, you know, the Cejudo fight, people, I don't know why people like Cejudo. Um, and he beat him, and to kind, of, to kind of compound the fact that he won, like, oh no, I thought he lost. Well, one, I don't agree that he, sh- I, I thought he won. I, I scored that fight for Sterling without too much difficulty, seem to recall. But, you know, here we're, uh, it is what it is as far as MMA scoring and whatnot. And he's just in this unfortunate position. And now he's, you know, fighting a guy that has a legitimate fan base in Sean O'Malley. And I don't understand O'Malley's appeal. But O'Malley's... One, I don't think he beat Jan. Um, but he performed very, very admirably in that fight. And that's nothing to be trifled with. Um, O'Malley's got some power. You can't take that. And he's a, he's fairly accurate. Part of the problem I think he's going to run into here is he's not much of a combination puncher. He'll throw one or two. You really need to be willing to throw like three or four on on um, Sterling. Both guys are long for the weight class, and both guys are kind of used to being able to lord that over their opponents, so I'm curious to see how that plays out. But I, Sterling's the better wrestler, based on all available evidence, by a lot. And what he does on the ground is, it's not, it's hard, man. It's hard to get around that. I'm not going to sit here and say O'Malley can't win. His power and his accuracy, he can. He can absolutely turn... He can turn Aljamain Sterling's lights out. I don't find it the most likely outcome, and that's why I'm going with Sterling here. But... The crowd reaction to this is going to be interesting. It's closer to Sterling's... um, home base... He's from Uniondale. Um, still always reps Jamaica. I don't know. And O'Malley's from... He's from... Jeez, oh Montana. That explains so much about him. Sorry, I shouldn't bag on Montana. I like it. I actually like it, but... um, Yeah, and he's out of Arizona at the moment. So I don't know where the... I don't know where the fans are going to land on this one. Uh, I'm I'm actually curious to see where the live crowd reacts. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as picks go, I gotta go with Sterling. I mean, he's technically the favorite, isn't he? Can imagine O'Malley's the favorite. Like I can I can I can imagine him winning. I have a hard time. Yeah, Sterling's a pretty hefty favorite. You don't actually have odds on the yeah UFC cart UFC website is run by. Ugh, people. Alright, co-main event. I don't know why this fight is here. Be real candid with you. If you're going to tell me that you're going to have Zhang Weili fight Amanda Lemos, Boston is not my first destination for that fight. But here we are. um, China versus Brazil. How big is Lemos? She's 5'4 and has 65-inch reach. 
Yeah, that's not much bigger than Zhang, who's allegedly 5'4", is probably closer to 5'3". And it's 63 inches, so we're talking, what? Yeah, just two inches. Um, Lemos has some pretty good power. So does Zhang. I've seen Zhang fight five rounds. I've not seen Lemos do that. And that's kind of a that's kind of a big deal for this. Um This is another one of those where I'm not going to say that Lemos can't win, but I need a pretty compelling reason if I'm going to pick against Zhang. And I'm not sure Lemos presents it to me on a consistent basis. Zhang's got pretty good lead leg kicks. She's strong. She's got power in her punches. Uh, the wrestling will be interesting because Zhang's actually a fairly strong wrestler. But I don't know. I don't know what Lemos does off of her back all that often. Uh, it's it's a weird one. Like it, it's just kind of a weird one in that respect. But Lemos has only lost twice in the UFC. Once in her debut to Leslie Smith. And then uh, Jessica Andrade caught her in that standing arm triangle. You maybe could have argued she lost. She, she should have lost that fight with Angela Hill. And you could argue it. Not sure I'd agree, but it was close enough. Um, Yeah, I'm going with Zhang. As far as picks go. So, uh, the Magni and Gary fight is out. I might have actually favored Gary in that one. Like I, I'm not trying to bag on Neil Magny, I promise. But, he's had 38 fights. He's 37, and he's been in the UFC for 10 years. Over 10. Like 10 and a half at this point, jeez. Like, that just catches up to you, man. And I think it's at the point where it's starting to catch up with him. He's still a tough out, but I... I think this would have been, uh, you know, Gary's on the ascension, Magny's on the decline kind of thing. But that's not... Again, that fight's not happening. I'm okay picking Gary in the dark, more or less, depending on if they try to rebook him or not. So, we'll see. Uh, Bantamweights, Marlon Vera and Pedro Munoz. That's actually a pretty good fight. That one's out. That one's out. Um, I feel fine picking Vera. But... Ask me what's going to be fight of the night on paper. Where am I going? I'm actually going with this. This this is, this will be my pick for fight of the night. Um, Vera, coming off of that setback to Sandhagen... Uh, it was a pretty tough fight, too. But that was, yeah, back in March. Uh, before that, you know, good four-fight winning streak. couple of nasty knockouts along the way. Uh, Munoz will accommodate a bit too much of what Vera does very, very well, so I'm going with Cheeto. But I expect that to be fun. I expect that to be your fun fight of the night. Uh, Chris Weidman is back after destroying his leg fighting 
Uriah Hall in April of 21, so he's been out for a while. Um, yeah, he's on a rough stretch, man. Two and six in his last eight. Jeez, only wins over Gastlum and Akhmedov. He's had some bad losses in that time period. He's been stopped in all of those. Jeez. Rockhold stopped him and probably ruined him. Romero knocked him out with that knee. Musasi stopped him. Jacare knocked him out. Reyes just obliterated him. And then, you know, I don't know how much I'm going to hold the Uriah Hall thing against him. You throw one leg kick. The first thing you throw in the fight results in your leg being shattered. Like He had some... He had some tough recovery from that, too. I don't quite know what we're getting against him. Brad Tavares is... This is not a... This is not... I, I'm going to say... This is not the softest touch in the world he could get. But Tavares is just 2-4 and four in his last six. On a two-fight losing streak. Now... The guys he's lost to, just in fairness to his losses, Israel Adesanya, Edmund Shabazian, that's aged poorly. Two wins, and then lost to Drikas Duplessis and Bruno Silva. Like, Adesanya champion, DDP, not your immediate next title contender, but the number one contender. And Silva... Uh, that may not have been the best. Yeah, that one's got a weird look to it. Silva hasn't quite been the same since uh, Alex Pereira beat the crap out of him for three rounds. Then again, you know, who who comes out of fighting Pereira exactly the same as they went in, you know? Um, but... I'm, I got I don't know what Weidman looks like at this point. I mean, I've seen some training footage and whatnot, but I don't know what he looks like live. And he's not a young guy. He's 39. With, you know, a giant chunk of injuries. This guy, people forget, man. He had a lot of injury issues even before he became champion. He had some layoff, he had layoffs at various points in time. Just because of that. And wrist injuries, elbow it He's been a little bit... Uh, frail's the wrong word. But he's not been the most resilient, the sturdiest of body. And it's, yeah, it's been an issue. So, I don't know. I, I'm going to pick Weidman... And I might feel really dumb about this when it's all said and done. But it would be nice to see a good... Like, the conclusion to his story should not be horrific leg injury, brutal knockout to Brad Tavares. But, you know, you do, the, world, the world of MMA does not give you what you should have, almost ever. All right, middleweight, uh, Gregory Rodriguez and Dennis Tolulin. Um, Rodriguez is your favorite RoboCop. Yeah. Um, what's Tululin? Had an up and down time in the UFC, if memory serves. Yeah, only one and two. I think he's 
Why do I think he's been there longer than he has? I don't know. I might be I might be transposing. I'm not forgetting him. I'm not confusing him with someone else, but I might quasi be transposing him with someone else. He's coming off a loss to Junyong Park. Who else beat him? Elise Kalbkizriev. Beat Jamie Pickett. That doesn't mean all that much. Um, yeah, I think this is Rodriguez. He's coming off of a tough loss to Bruno Ferreira, though. He was having a lot of success and then just got suckered into a little bit too much of a, too much of a brawl there. But I kind of like Rodriguez. Uh, I thought he beat Armin Petrosian. So, yeah, go with Rodriguez. Seems pretty safe. Uh, again, Austin Hubbard and Kurt Hollibo. Hollibo. How long has he been out of the UFC? He lost his UFC debut in 2013. He was acquired with uh, Strike Force and then got beat by Steven Seiler and got given the axe. Since then, more wins than losses. He had a, uh, oh, sorry. That was his first time. His second time in the UFC. He got knocked out by Hani Barcelo, submitted by Shane Burgos, and then stopped by Tiago Moises, and then cut again. Um, I'm not going to have too many problems picking Austin Hubbard here. I, Hubbard being cut was a little bit... I didn't agree with that. So Hubbard, was just he just traded wins and losses for his entire UFC run. Lost to Davi Hamos, beat Kyle Prepolik. Uh, Lost to Mark Madsen, beat Max Roshkoff, lost to Joe Selecki, beat Dakota Bush, lost to Vince Pichel, left. I'm okay picking him here. Um, yeah, and again, the bantamweight one, I don't, I don't care. You know what? In the interest of fairness. And look at the options. So it's either going to be Rico Descolio, who I believe was the only guy from... Yeah, he was the only schmuck from... Not schmuck, that's disingenuous. He was the only guy from Connor's team of the newbies to, uh, to get a win in the first round. He's fighting Cody Gibson tonight. Um, yeah, Katona won a split decision over Timur Valiev. Katona getting cut was an interesting choice. Katona's one of those guys that just shouldn't have... I hate to say shouldn't have been cut, because that's not right. But... He came into the UFC too early. Because he won that uh, season of The Ultimate Fighter, the um, undefeated one. Blech. Won twice, lost twice, lost to both Murab Dwalish, really, and then Hunter Azure, and then got cut. He's won four fights since. Again, split over Teamer. I, was, I haven't seen that fight in question, so I'll... But um, let me take a look at Cody Gibson real fast. I'm, I have no problem kind of loosely thinking Gibson. Um, He had a rough UFC run. One and four... Lost to Sterling, beat Johnny Bedford, lost to Manny Gamburian, ouch, in 2014. 
Then lost to Douglas Silva de Andrade. If, if this were contemporary, he would not have been cut after this run in the current landscape of the UFC. That's all I'm saying. Um, so I don't have a problem picking him to advance to fight Katona. I don't have a problem picking Katona there. Um, yeah, Katona's just a guy who shouldn't have been in the UFC when he was. Got in too early and then didn't go well for him. So, I'll leave that at that. Uh, middleweight Andre Petrosky and Gerald Mershart. They're still kind of soft playing Petrosky. Giving him very winnable fights. Do I think he is, right? Yeah, he is. Yeah, jackass with the sword, with the hammer and sickle tattoo. Sorry, I take a dim view of people sporting that these days. Not That's not a, for the record, that's not an anti-communist sentiment on my part. If you want to argue the merits of that system, you know, that it's worth discussing. The hammer and sickle I associate with the, you know, murderous... Uh, totalitarian state of the USSR and all the horrible things they did. So again, I've lost a lot of... I've lost a lot of patience with that symbol as I've grown older. Not quite to the extent that, you know, it's not quite the swastika, but... It's not as far removed as people think, as some people would like to pretend. Anyway, neither here nor there. Um, he's on, a, you know, he's four fights in a row in the UFC. And Mershard is just kind of a journeyman. You know, he's been up, he's been down, he's coming off a loss to Joe Pyfer. He's probably going to lose this one. Uh, women's flyweight, Andrea Lee and Natalia Silva. Um, speaking of swastikas... <laughs> Andrea Lee. Sorry. For those of you who don't know that story, her now ex-partner... Yeah, just had, like, Nazi tattoos, and to his, according to him, he got them in prison. And to the American penal system, is like, that's a whole separate world. I don't blame almost anybody for anything they do in terms of, like, what you do in prison to survive. But... Yeah, keeping him after you get out is... And then he turned out to be, a, you know... Abusive and, you know, a terrible person, so whatever. Um, but she's kind of past it at this point, I almost feel like. like she's good. She's She's had some rough luck with some split decisions that I thought she should have won, but... Uh, unfortunately for her, Silva is on a pretty good winning streak, including three in a row in the UFC. I Silva's the favorite, and I can't say I disagree, so I'm going with Silva here. And kicking everything off, we have Karini Silva and Marina Moroz. This is probably just Karini Silva, right? Hang on. What's Moroz done recently? Lost to Jennifer Maya. November of last year. She's been out for a bit. Um, she has the win over Ma uh, Maria Gapova, Myra Buena Silva. She had a lot of fights canceled. She had a lot of fights canceled. Um, whereas Silva... A 2-0 in the UFC? Yeah, 
She had a pretty nice knee bar in Ketlin Souza. Yeah, yeah, I'm just going with Carini. So that's where we are at the moment. Again, we lost a couple of fights, so it's gonna be a it's gonna be a pretty narrow card. Gonna be pretty lean. How many fights are there actually? Hang on, so one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. We lost uh, Gary and Magni. Uh, I'm not saying they won't find somebody for Bautista on short notice, but finding somebody to fight that guy on a week's notice. Like that dude, who's he lost? He lost his UFC debut to Corey Sandhagen, rebounded with a couple of wins, lost to Trevin Jones, and he is 4-0 since. He hit that sweet tri reverse triangle armbar on Benito Lopez. I remember that. Beat Guido Canetti his last time. Yeah, Batista, that's nobody to trifle with. So we'll see if they find someone, but my hunch is not. So we might have just a 10 fight. That'll be nice. That'll be nice. More sedate kind of broadcast schedule. Keep it nice and easy. Don't make everybody stay awake for six and a half hours. And then spend most of it vamping on the desk instead of letting the fighters talk longer. So that was the thing about last night's card, right? Um, fighters kept wanting to kind of say stuff and go on a little longer, and Daniel Cormier, who's just doing what he's told, mind you, like, no, you have so much time to say what you're going to say, then the interview's over. We have, you know, we're doing this on a schedule here. I'm not saying I don't, I'm not sympathetic to that, especially to the poor producers trying to keep things on track, but... When you have that many finishes and then you just spend like 20 minutes on the analyst desk, I'd rather hear from a fighter. I'd rather they get the opportunity to say a little bit more. And we cut the desk time a little bit shorter. Yeah, that seemed that unreasonable. Anyway, uh, I will be covering that this Saturday, August 19th in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. So please do stop by, say hello if you're so inclined. I always appreciate it. All right, let's move on here, if you don't mind, to the UFC lawsuit. So, for the last several years, um, I forget how long this has been going on. What was it, eight? It might be a bit of a stretch. Well, then again, it might not. Something like that. We're actually closer to ten years than not. Because, again, the legal process in this country can move slowly. Um, the UFC has been being sued by a bunch of fighters, former fighters, for any number of for a number of things. And they were seeking so the big thing that we got here. The judge in question a while ago had sort of verbally given class certification to this. And I'll get to that in just a second. But he hadn't written out his full opinion on the ruling here. And he finally got around to that, and I don't say that dismissively. I don't know what other cases the judge had on his docket, but judges don't. Like, it's not... It's rare you get a judge that has, like, one case and one case only, so I doubt this was one of those. But he finally got around to writing out uh, the full ruling 80 pages later. And that's actually not uncommon, because what we're dealing with here is antitrust law. And that's 
detail-oriented, time-consuming, and, look, different aspects of law work a little... It's crazy to think they might work differently, but they do. Contract law is not necessarily the same as liability law, which is not the same as antitrust law, which is not the same as malpractice and insurance law and tax law and election law and criminal law. And again, there's a lot of different schools, uh, flavors of the legal system. It could be business law and do like mergers and a lot of different stuff. And some of it's more involved and some of it's more detail oriented and whatnot than others. Antitrust law, which is at the crux of this case, is one of these things that's very intensive. So um, you can find the full uh, the full ruling from the judge. I'm going to summarize. I haven't read the whole thing, but I've seen the relevant pages here for what I'm going to talk about. So again, the judge had already verbally said we're going to do class certification, and that's important because that means what we have here is a class action lawsuit, and those are big words. I don't mean like they're difficult to understand, but they carry weight. Those are heavy. Class action lawsuits immediately qualify, means anyone who falls within this class, this classification, is immediately entered into the lawsuit. So what does that mean for this case? Well, the U they're being sued for a very specific time period. Um, 2010 to 2017, I forget where in each of those years. I want to say late 10 to mid 17. Don't quote me on that. It's not, it's not January of 10 to, dis, it's not January 1st of 2010 to December 31st of 2017. It's a little bit different than that, but that period of time is what's in, is what's being sued over. And Again, they're being sued for a bunch of different stuff. And what, but one of the things they were seeking was class certification. So everyone, and they got it for, um, they called it bout. Because they were, they were suing for, one was for bout certification, which was everyone who fought for the UFC during this time period to be entered. The other was likeness, because the UFC produced content. And what they wanted to do was enter every fighter whose likeness was used by the UFC during this time period. That got denied which I don't entirely think is unreasonable necessarily, but the bigger one is you know, is the fighter thing because it means every fighter who fought for the UFC from that date in 2010 to that date in 2017 is now automatically part of this lawsuit and entitled to any financial compensation that comes along as a result. Which I think comes to the tune of about, was it about 1,200 fighters? And go back and look at the roster. Like you want to look at all the individual fighters who competed for the UFC during that, you know, six and a half year period, give or take. They're all part of this now. Now, you can opt out of this, but you are meet but unless you deliberately opt out legally and other, and whatnot, you are a part of it. Um, if you live in the United States, I don't know how this works in other countries, so I apologize if you're listening from somewhere else if you've ever seen the commercials about stuff like this 
you know, did you, are you a woman, uh, this was a fairly big one recently, but, you know, are you a woman who used Johnson & Johnson baby powder for a feminine hygiene between you know, this year to this year, like, or up until this date? And did you have health complications? Well, it turns out, you know, this stuff helps contribute to cancer, and Johnson & Johnson knew about it, and we sued them, so you're entitled to money. These commercials come out because when the class certification was granted, everyone who qualifies was thrown in there. When, um, you know, like when the big, when the tobacco companies got sued over this, you know, everyone who smoked and had health complications, you were entitled. Um, yeah, what was the other one that I saw? There was a weird one that we, that I saw. Maybe it might have been more locally, but. And did you have hernia surgery between this date and this date, a couple of year period here? And did you have a such and such company mesh used? If so, you're entitled to compensation. Like Those are class action things because after the lawsuit or when you're building it, sometimes, sometimes when you're building it, sometimes afterwards, you're entitled to compensation for it. So there's a bunch of fighters now who are going to be entitled to monetary compensation, somewhat commensurate to whatever gets done here, either via ruling or either via ruling or uh, settlement. They're going to get paid out. Now, the other thing about antitrust law, again, it's time-consuming, but if it's it's lucrative, man. If you go for it, because the the payouts for these, if you don't know how this works. Let's say, for example, that the because they're seeking what two billion dollars in damages. Like, I think that was the listed number. We'll call it two for the sake of conversation. I forget the exact number, but call it two. It's probably like 1.7. I'm gonna round to two. If they are awarded two billion dollars in damages, that doesn't mean every fighter gets two billion dollars. It's like that's the pool that is spread amongst all the relevant parties. And you, I mean, look. You give me one twelve hundredth of two billion dollars of two billion, and it might actually be more than that because frequently judgments in these cases um, will give like they'll triple it. So again, if they're asking for like one point, they're like one point seven. You're going to be five and change, right? When it's all said and done, if that if that's in play. So again, you give me, like, even if I'm like one twelve hundredth of that, I'm going to be pretty happy. But the money comes from, especially for the lawyers, because lawyers frequently in cases like this, they get somewhere between, uh, I believe industry standard is 33% or 30%, so somewhere between a third and 30% of the ruling, the summary judgment. And that's, so again, if we get, so the lawyers for these guys, if you get, Call it, you know, you get $2 billion, they get a third. And it, on top of whatever, usually on top of whatever billable hours they've put in, but some places, some law firms will only work on commission. Those law firms are usually more inclined to settle, uh, just as a, as a point of note for anyone out there going, oh, I don't have to pay hourly fees for my lawyer. True. Downside. They're more likely to settle because that guarantees their money. Just a note. Sometimes that's better. 
but neither here nor there. So that's where a lot of that money comes. So that's why there, there's a lot of money potentially at, at stake here. So that's a problem for the UFC. Now, they're going to appeal this because they can. Look, they're going to appeal to try and to, to try and quash the, the certification of class. I don't know how successful they're going to be because what would they be appealing to? The Ninth Circuit? Because they're in Vegas. I forget which circuit that is. So as a minor note, for anyone who's like, what do you mean by circuits? Circuits are older terminology from when judges would have to ride around to territories or travel. Um, we keep the terminology, but it, it, it's, a, it's more a zone than like a hierarchy. Like, wait, so is the Seventh Circuit more important than the Ninth Circuit or less important? Because, no, 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 not how that works. Um, there is, I think there is one, because we're dealing with federal law. Right? That's the first thing. Um, there's a provision in contracts for most major corporations. The UFC has one of the, like, most of them. Wherever their corporation is based, they will usually stipulate that any lawsuits brought against them must be brought in... Uh, the specific jurisdiction, which will be again become a circuit, one of the circuit courts, usually. And that's not uncommon. It's usually a logistical thing. Like our offices are near X. If you're going to sue us, you have to do it in X. If you're more cynical, you can do the well. They're very entrenched in the system and in the location, so they know the judges. And again, I'm not going to get too deep into that here. But. And also, again, for those of you who don't know, there's, again, there's the appeals court. I think there's one more. I want to say there's one more, like there's a slightly higher appellant court and then the Supreme Court, but don't quote me on that. It's been a while since I've double-checked the specific structure here. Because you can appeal all the way to the Supreme Court in theory. But the court doesn't have to hear you. And that's kind of the big thing the UFC is going to have to be fighting here. The judge made his ruling. They're going to appeal it. And they're going to appeal it because you're lawyers. Of course, you appeal it. It gives you more billable hours. And it, like, that just makes sense. And it's better for your client. Like your your responsibilities, ethical to your clients and the system line up there. But the appellant circuit, they are not required to actually hear arguments. You put forward your brief. They look at it, and if they decide no, like, if they just agree with the judge's ruling, then they just refuse to hear the case. Like, no, we don't need to. There's nothing to be gained from this. You don't benefit, we don't benefit. Like, it's a waste of time. No, go away. And that, ha and that happens at, like, most levels once you get into the higher appellant system. Um, you know, like, so again, like, the Circuit Court of Appeals, whatever the circuit happens to be, like, if they just agree with the lower judge's ruling, they just, they don't even have to hear arguments. Like they can just read the ruling, hear your, again, read your legal brief, and then just, no. And appealing their, you, I think you can technically appeal their non-hearing, but I'm not, I, that's a little bit wonkier. Because, and I bring that up because that's kind of what happens at the Supreme Court level. They get appealed, like, there are plenty of cases, theoretically, on the docket for the Supreme Court at any given point in time. But if they agree with the lower appellant uh, court's ruling, they don't have to hear it. They can not. In which case, the lower ruling stands and they just kind of tacitly agree with it. So that's what they're going to be fighting, is they're going to be fighting for space on the appellant court docket, whatever the circuit is they're going to. And 
I want to say it was seventh. I may have misheard that, so please don't quote me on that. But they're going to be trying to fight for space to try and make the case that the judge ruled in error. And again, they're not even beholden to listen to arguments, necessarily. They might. I'm not saying it's impossible. They might. But it's not a given, so we'll see how that plays. Um, but more importantly, almost even than class certification, some of the language the judge threw out here. So whatever arguments the UFC lawyers put forward um, in the course of the kind of discovery and hearing processes, they were the opposite of compelling, <laughs> the opposite of persuasive. Oh, man, he tore them apart. He cited the UFC's contracts as oppressive and restrictive, unfair business practices, ruthless business tactics. Now, ruthless is not always illegal, but ruthless combined with oppressive is a bad, bad look. Uh, he flat out called them an, a, a monopsony and again, accused them of pursuing specific things, actually. Their acquisition of other... Uh, like, like uh, competitive promotions just to stop them from existing. Um, man, by the by, like some of the other uh, MMA promotions caught some serious strays in this. Some of the arguments here, like Bellator got lambasted unintentionally. Like part of the argument put forward was, you know, Bellator's last event at X venue drew 3000 people. If that, you know, they're not legitimate competition. <laughs> truth hurts, man. The truth hurts. Um, yeah, so the judge just reamed them out. And not only that, um, basically the wording means that he can provide injunctive relief. And you may not know what that means. It means that if the judge makes a ruling about the nature of like the UFC's business practices... As a temporary measure, you might hear like temporary injunctions. These are usually what they reference. Temporarily injunctive uh, rulings like this. So if the judge rules one of these, then immediately the UFC's business practices have to change. And you might go, wait, can he dictate business? Well, some cases. If he rules, for example, that a UFC contract can be no longer than three years, period. You are not allowed to add extensions to that, because the UFC does this all the time. He can rule that, and they have to, again, for the purposes of, like, trial, they will have to start using that, and then, depending on, like, how a final ruling went, it can become permanent or not permanent. Difference between temporary and permanent is self-evident. But their entire business model, in some respects, might be at play here, might be in danger. Because if they get, if they get hit, if there's a ruling that comes down that Again, your contracts are restrictive and oppressive. They have to change. And you are now bound by law. And the UFC will go along with this because this is the thing about the UFC. Other people have noted this. However bad you might feel about some of their business practices, they don't really do anything illegal. They do what they are required to do. So if they wind up being required to do this, they'll change it. Um, usually this kind of thing will get settled. If the class certification stands, there will probably be a push for a settlement. 
somewhat pursuant to Endeavor here. If Endeavor decides they want, they would rather go to trial and risk it. Um, and look, that might go badly for either side. Here's the, however, here's the problem with uh, the one they might run into. If they go to trial, antitrust, uh, um, civil da- like civil liability and civil damage, like certain categories of this have jury trials. Most antitrust law is bench trial. There is no jury. It's the judge. Most, not all, but most. So, if the judge has already made some of his opinion known, and he has, and you kind of know how he's leaning, and unless you have new stuff to present, that's going to go bad. That might go real bad. Um, so we'll see. Like my hunch will be settlement, and not like tomorrow. Look, they're going to appeal. It's going to be another. There's going to be a. They're going to appeal a couple of things. That's going to get sorted. There's still more motions. There's still more hearings. Like we don't have a trial date. Like there's still a lot of stuff to do. But most lawsuits get settled. My hunch is this one will be. If you if you ask me to play the odds. It'll get settled for a good chunk of change. And the UFC's business model might be a little bit in jeopardy here. And, you know, I actually don't, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. If I can be candid. You know, the UFC's, part of the UFC's argument for a long time was anyone can do this, we're just better. And if that were true, I think we'd all be okay with it. The problem is, and this is what the judge found, the UFC's business practices and contracts actually prevent anyone from competing. The UFC has the vast majority of the best fighters in the world, right? That's not really in dispute. You can find good fighters elsewhere. I'm not trying to disparage them. You can find good fighters in Bellator. There are some good fighters in one. There's a couple. There's some good fighters in the PFL. Like, I'm not saying they don't exist. I'm saying where's the bulk? To say nothing of how of the financial side of it, which is um, of every dollar generated in revenue. By the sport of MMA worldwide, 90 cents of it is UFC. And imagine for just a second, people, I mean this. Let's say that the judge does say you can't have contracts longer than three years, period. Period. Championship, the championship rollover clause, gone. The extending, the extending your contract at, for injuries and pullouts, gone. What does that do? What does that do when they can't lord that over fighters? What does that do when they have to reacquire fighters on a regular basis? Be nice if we all knew purse money, you know, so they could negotiate a little bit better. But like, what does that do to it? It fundamentally changes it, and maybe, for, certainly for the better of the fighters. Um, that probably leads to more money, and that's kind of at the crux of this. 
Like the UFC pays what, 15% revenue? If that. Um, so, one of my listeners, and bless you for commenting, Sal, I appreciate you, <laughs> um, wanted me to bring up, you know, that you, you they do get more than their, purely their disclosed purse. There are locker room bonuses. And not just the announced, here, here's the argument. Here's my problem with this argument. I'll get to it in a second. Not just the fight of the night, performance of the night bonuses. There are other discretionary bonuses that are handed out. Um, here's the problem. It doesn't matter. And maybe I'm, I'm not saying that it doesn't matter to the fighters. And I'm not saying people bringing this up are trying to argue in bad faith. I'm saying there's not two sets of books. The UFC was subpoenaed in federal court and has given this information. Dude, if they actually paid out more than they said they did, they're making themselves look bad. Part of the argument here, and one of the things brought up, is how little fighters are paid relative to revenue and whatnot. If the UFC actually pays more than they said under oath, one, perjury, two, you're stupid. You've shot yourself in the foot and committed serious crimes. Because perjury is a serious crime. <laughs> Why? It would be the dumbest thing. There's no reason for it. We know what the UFC pays. They pay less than 20% to fighters. As much less than 20% as they can get away with. Like uh, Athlete compensation is... They don't like it being more than 20%. It's probably less than that because some of the stuff they count as compensation is weird. Like USADA. Not athlete compensation, but they count it there. It, they keep it around, like, my hunches is even less. My hunches is closer to 18 to 15%. That's it. Well, what about... No, no. No. No whataboutism here. Uh-uh. That's what they pay. Whether that's locker room, whether that's discretionary bonuses, performance bonuses, we feel bad for you bonuses, unless it is Dana White from his own pocket throwing a wad of cash at you, it is accounted for in the lawsuit. We know what this is. And a lot of fighters, here's the other thing about this, man, a lot of fighters don't talk about it. They don't like talking about money and partially understand why, partially it's screwing them. You want to know one of the, this is one of the craziest things, but you want to know where some of the lessons about this came from and what, where you should take your, where you should take some, um, if you're a fighter, where you should take lessons from, listen to Kevin Nash talk about how he and Scott Hall talked about money because same kind of thing in the WWF at the time, a little bit North Korea with the payouts. Nobody talked about it. Like you, Again, you could get a general feel for it, but nobody was specific. Those two guys came in, and they were best friends, and they trusted each other, and they said, hey, how much are you making? Oh, I'm making this. Oh, I'm making... And they figured it out. You might be trying to kill each other in that cage, but when it comes to getting paid, you want the information. You want to know. You want to know details you want to know that stuff so you can talk about it so you can negotiate about it 
And everyone, again, everyone does the North Korea thing. They buy into, I'm not even saying all of it's wrong, but they buy into a lot of the UFC talking points, and some of it's BS. Some of it's not. Look, the, you can't, you can't negotiate well if other people know what you're paid is bull. That is in. That is anti-truth. Every bit of empirical evidence points to the exact opposite. It is crap. Leave it alone. The stuff about some fighters maybe not wanting family members to know how much they make, or, you know, the parasitic nature of some people around them, I find... I'm not saying it's crap. It happens. Dude, you want, the horror stories about that stuff come more out of, like, the NFL or the NBA. When suddenly, you know, everybody's got uncles they didn't know they had. You get announced in the draft, and suddenly, you got family that you never heard of showing up. Because you got that NFL money. I I get that. I'm not saying that's not a thing. I'm saying... I'm saying hiding behind it is weak. I'm saying it's weak to hide behind that. It's a little bit weak to hide behind, you know, Isaac Dolgarian living in an RV. Say, no, no, we don't want, you know, we don't want his family getting wind of his 10 and 10 contract. Like, go walk off a bridge with that. Like, you get, again, you get really up there. Okay, maybe I can, I mean, even if you get really up there, dude. Some reports have come out about this now that Nate Diaz might have made more for that Jake Paul boxing bout than he did his entire UFC run. I don't have a problem believing that. That's how screwed up this is. Nate Diaz was in the UFC. He came in on Tough Five. How long ago was that? So old. Because I watched that. I watched that season. I'd argue still the best season. He came into the UFC in 2007. He had how many fights in that promotion? All but, hang on, all but seven of his 34 fights in the UFC. Over, what, 16 years? Hang on, so 10 would be 17, three, and then he left last year. So yeah, he was June of 07 to September of 22. And one boxing fight paid him more, Could I have no problem believing, paid him more than all of those fights combined. I don't have a single problem believing that. Not a one. Not a one. And that's where we are with that. So we'll keep you up to date on the lawsuit as much as we can. But we got some movement there finally. And the UFC's entire business model being subject to legal ruling here is a big deal. But we'll keep you up to date if we can. All right, moving on. I talked about that for a bit. So, 
Uh, let's talk about Conor McGregor very briefly, if we must. So Conor was at the Anthony Joshua and Robert Hellenius fight on Saturday. Um, if you follow boxing at all, that was supposed to be Anthony Joshua and Dillian White. Dillian White failed a drug test. So they fly in Robert Hellenius on short notice to just get knocked out in the seventh round after a lot of nothing until then. Don't know why AJ took so long, but whatever. Anyway, Connor was there. And did his Connor McGregor thing. But among other things, he mentioned one, he said he'd like to bare knuckle box KSI. I mean, the line he used for this was the guy couldn't box if he worked in an egg boxing plant. Like, this guy used to have wit, didn't he? There used to be some sting and some barbs and some thought put into what he said. Now he's out here like... Uh, I almost felt like Homer Simpson was going to lean into frame and go, yeah, when you don't use Millhouse, it's hard. Like, it's that bad a line. And nobody cared. Because nobody cares. Um, his, in theory, more concrete plan was he wants to fight Michael Chandler in December. Currently not happening. Have a fight with Justin Gagey for the BMF belt. And then the trilogy fight with Nate Diaz. That's not actually the worst lineup for him, believe it or not. Here's the thing, I don't believe it. I don't believe he's fighting in December. Look, the UFC could absolutely give him an exemption for USADA. They could. Um, nothing stopping him. It'll look bad. I heard the argument. I think I heard Aaron Bronstetter make this argument. That if the UFC gives Conor McGregor an exemption for his to come back and fight in December... It will be the final nail in the coffin of the credibility of what they're tr- of their anti-doping stuff, and he's not wrong. He is not wrong at all. They've skirted around some of the USADA BS, and people have kind of bought into some of the BS because they do. But if they give Connor an exemption and say what you were doing doesn't matter. It's it's the most blatant hypocrisy they could show, and I think it'd be too public for them to really survive it from a PR standpoint. They can still have you saw it, and they can still say we're doing it. Like they can still enforce that rule, but no, like it, it's so nakedly obvious in what it is that the mask would be off, right? Like, there's no hiding what that is at that point. And I don't think he's wrong. I don't think he's wrong about that. So I don't know if they would. I don't know if they're willing to take that hit. They might. They might. But I don't know. But, you know, if... The plan of, like, Chandler, Gagey, Nate, it's not terrible. I don't know that Nate's coming back on that timetable, though. He might. But I don't know. I don't know for sure. Uh, I don't know how interested in that fight Gagey is. It depends on how fast, like, what the title scene looks like in the near future. If Makashev beats Oliveira again, that helps his chances, because they haven't fought. If Oliveira wins again, that's tougher, because his win over Gage was pretty clean. So, I don't know. Um, 
I just, look, I don't believe anything that Connor says at this point. How could you? How could you take anything that guy says at face value? So, that, he talked, it, you know, uh, merited, I think, a little discussion here, even though I hate talking about him when it's talking about nothing, but it was enough adjacent to what we know to be true in reality that I kind of warranted it. Uh, All right, so lastly, I think here for my listed stuff, Corey Sandhagen revealed that he fully tore his triceps in the first round of that fight. He needs surgery. He'll be out. That opens up the welterweight title picture a little bit. It does suck that your two top contenders, uh, Sandhagen and presumably Umar Nurmagomedov, would be out for the moment with injuries. Um, Hopefully they both come back, uh, you know, ready and willing and able to fight because they're both very good, but opens it up a little bit for the rest of that division after, depending on what happens with Sterling and O'Malley, and then whether Sterling sticks around or moves up, and you got Marab out there, so who knows? It's a little, it's a little weird at the moment. But that's our update on him. Torn triceps, headed for surgery. Wishing the best in his recovery. All right. Let me check Twitter, see if anything crazy is broken. If not, we will do plugs and get out of here. All right. Nope. So, plugs. I mentioned it already briefly, but Mark Radlich, Pat Mullen, and I did an impromptu uh, watch-along for Emmanuel Navarrete and Oscar Valdez. Good time. Check it out on the W2M network if you're so inclined. We have a good time with it. Nice to talk with those guys again and do some more boxing. Uh, as for this week, uh, Tuesday... I think our last regular Tuesday show, if memory serves. Let me check. Uh, Blue Beetle, Grand, uh, so Beetle is Monday, Gran Turismo is Monday. Yeah, we're pretty much Monday after this for... Uh, for Damn You Hollywood. Am I in that one? Might not be. Um, so September just is a wasteland. I I can't say it any differently than that. September is a wasteland. So, but yeah, we are starting to move to Mondays in the near future for Damn You Hollywood. But uh, the 15th this Tuesday is our last regular uh, Tuesday one. It will be myself, Mark Radulich, Pat Mullen, and Dorian Price. And we'll be talking about the latest Andre Ordval movie, The Last Voyage of the Demeter, which is, I'm looking forward to. I don't think it's going to be perfect, but I am looking forward to that particular movie. So, tune in for that if you're so inclined. Much appreciated. My usual spate of professional wrestling coverage continues to exist. MLW stuff on Thursday, WWE SmackDown on Friday, UFC events on Saturday, so UFC 292 this Saturday. Tune in. Thank you all very much. We will be back here next week to review UFC 292 and all the fallout from that. And to preview, uh, God, that early morning card, that's going to suck. So we'll be previewing UFC on ESPN 52, the Singapore card, headlined by Max Holloway and the Korean Zombie. And the prelims for that start at 3 a.m. my time, so I'm just going to be up. I... I would rather stay up than wake up, so I'm just going to be up all night. That'll be fun. I will just get done with SmackDown, get set up for this, and then be awake until 
that starts and then through that and yeah that's not looking forward to that look man when i was younger i could have done that stand in on my head i am older now and it's a bit more difficult but i will pull it off because i am me and i am a professional so we'll preview that card next week and you know what it's not a terrible card i had to sell tickets so not a terrible card we'll go through it See you all then. All right. Until then, thank you very, very much as always. Stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.